Hi, everyone, and welcome to Sustainable Futures, designing green communities and buildings, a living architecture monitor podcast from Green Roofs for Healthy Cities. Thank you very much for joining us. Research has always played an important role, not only in helping us understand the many performance benefits of green infrastructure, but also in helping us to design better systems. Today, we are fortunate to have Dr. Jennifer Busolo, Assistant Professor in the Department of Horticulture and Landscape Architecture at Colorado State University, whose research points to the direction of a new type of multifunctional green roof system, the rooftop agrivoltaic. Dr. Busolo and her students study green roof plant pollinator interactions, green roof system stormwater capture, rooftop agriculture, and the integration of solar panels and food production on green roofs or agrivoltaics. Dr. Busolo is the editor in charge of the only academic journal related to green roof research in North America, the Journal of Living Architecture. She is also the research chair of the board of directors of Green Roofs for Healthy Cities. Dr. Buslo is an accredited green roof professional and coordinates the Colorado Regional Center of Excellence in Living Architecture, both designated by Green Roofs for Healthy Cities. Dr. Buslo was on the 2018 City of Denver Green Roof Task Force and is on the Technical Advisory Committee for the Green Building Ordinance in Denver. Due to her expertise in green roofing, Jen regularly consults on the design, installation, and maintenance of green roofs. She has co-authored over 20 peer-reviewed publications since 2010, and most related to green roofs, local foods, and native plants. She is the co-author of the Colorado Native Plant Society published third edition of Common Southwestern Native Plants, contributing to two chapters in the book, Eco-Regional Green Roofs. Jennifer will be presenting her latest research findings at the 2022 Cities Alive conference in Philadelphia, which runs from October 16th to the 19th. But today, we are very, very lucky to have her with us for this podcast. Jennifer, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Stephen. It's a real pleasure to be here. It's great to have you. You know, I've been following your research with much, much interest on rooftop agrivoltaics for some time. How did you get started down this particular path? Excellent question, Stephen. It actually was a bit of an accident. Uh, believe it or not, during my doctoral research what, at Colorado State University, we partnered with the Environmental Protection Agency Region 8 headquarters and um, did our completed our research up there on various things like species, substrates, those kinds of things. And at one end of my research plot, there was a, a green or a, a solar panel installed. And at first I was quite frustrated by that fact, but it, it ended up proving to us very quickly that there's an excellent synergy between green roof systems and solar panels. They end up benefiting each other um, mutually. So it just so happened there was a solar panel in one corner of this research project and it caught your attention. And that's how you got started in, in all of this? That's right. It was a simple, extensive green roof system, predominantly sedum uh, green roof. And the sedums, which are supposed to be full sun plants, thrived in that shade and protection from the solar panels. And the solar panels actually operated more efficiently. And so that's what got me really interested in it. I said, why can't we stack these benefits? And instead of um, having just 
um, vegetative plant material, let's, let's grow something for humans to consume as well. So mm -hmm. that's what really got me into the rooftop agrivoltaics. So maybe you could just take a moment in your own words to, to for the layperson, what actually do we mean? That's a mouthful, rooftop agrivoltaics. <laughs> what, what exactly are we talking about here? That's right, Stephen, you're, you're absolutely correct. That people always get confused when I say rooftop agrivoltaics. I've said it so many times over the last few years that I always have to stop and define. Literally rooftop agrivoltaics are um, combining the rooftop growing conditions with agriculture. So that's the agri part and photovoltaics, which is another way to say solar panels. So it's combining essentially three systems, a green roof, agriculture, and solar panels. So it's stacking these systems on top of each other. So like a regular green roof, which would have, you know, plants growing medium drainage layer, that type of stuff. Now trying to grow food crops, where I assume we're talking about. That's predominantly agrivoltaics. Yes. Although there's then, also for pollinators too. So pollinator habitat can be agrivoltaics. Right, because when you help pollinators, they can also produce honey and there's all kinds of benefits mm -hmm. and so forth. Which brings me to the question, what are the benefits of combining these, these dis different systems? In particular, combining green roofs with photovoltaic uh, cells. Many people there's, seem to think there's a conflict between these two technologies for, for space on rooftops, but that's not necessarily the case. You're absolutely right, Stephen. That's a really common misconception that greener systems and solar panels cannot be combined. They actually absolutely can be combined. In fact, that synergy I was mentioning a little earlier, it really has to do with the sort of needs of both systems. So in the simplest terms, um, the solar panels provide a little bit of shade, especially in the middle of the day during the summer, when it's the hottest growing conditions, most of our plants actually would benefit, especially our food crops, from reducing temperature, reducing the intensity of the sun, especially at, in the middle of the day, and, and having a slightly more um, ideal growing condition. So think of it as essentially like a little mini greenhouse uh, for those plants. And then on the flip side, believe it or not, actually the panels benefit from this arrangement as well, because panels operate most efficiently at room temperature. So 72 degrees Fahrenheit or 25 degrees Celsius. Every degree higher than 25 C ends up reducing the efficiency by about a half a percent of the panels. So on a hot day, it doesn't have to get very hot in order for it to essentially turn off. So the green roof um, provides essentially evaporative cooling in the form of both transpiration from the plant. So that's when water comes out through the plant pores um, and evaporation from the substrate or, or media surface. And so that combined evapotranspiration ends up cooling the panel from the underside and helps it operate more efficiently I'm not the only researcher worldwide that has noticed that um, synergistic uh, set of benefits for both systems. So really creating a baseline now among several labs on uh, the most efficient combination. So if I understand you correctly, what you're saying is the, the shading function from the solar panels 
actually helps the plants grow more effectively or efficiently. And the, the fact that the plants are transpiring water and, along with the growing medium cools the air underneath the photovoltaics and that enables them to be more efficient as well. That's correct. Do we know what we're talking about? Are we talking about like 50% more efficient in terms of solar energy production, 10%? What are we, what are we talking about here? You know, that's a great question, Stephen. Um, I definitely work on the plant side. I'm a horticulturalist. However, I do know that most typical solar panels, whether they're silicon or cadmium telluride, usually only have an efficiency of about 20% at all times. It fluctuates depending on cloud cover and a number of other things. So we can't say necessarily that it's that much more efficient from the studies that I've seen and from some of the data we've collected but not yet published. It looks like it's an improvement in the 5 to 10% efficiency range. Okay, <clears throat> which it could be quite significant. Uh, you know, if you've got quite a few solar panels, that could be a significant um, improvement in the economics, I guess, of the solar installation. Oh, no doubt. And the other, the key thing is, is they're producing during peak use. So peak energy use. So the solar panels are adding energy to the grid at times that we're usually cooling our indoor spaces in the summer. And so it has to do with that element of it too. So I think prices even change depending on demand and, um, and production. So we need better efficiency from solar panels during those hot summer days and evenings when we're using a lot of electricity. I think that's what you're saying. And the electricity can often be, depending on your utility, more valuable at those times. You got it. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Uh, are there any other synergistic benefits between uh, green roofs and, and solar panels in um uh, in addition to the energy efficiency improvements you're talking about? Is there anything else going on? You know, there's a lot of things going on, Stephen. We're really starting to finally quantify some of those. So one of the additional benefits is we think we can increase crop water use. So we can reduce the amount of water the plants end up requiring in order to produce the same amount of yield. Another benefit we feel like we're already seeing is related to wind and hail damage. We're seeing a vast improvement in crop quality by having something to protect it from some of those very damaging weather conditions. And the final one has to do with an experimental panel type, um, which we call semi-transparent. So it's almost like sunglasses for plants, um, where the panels themselves are actually slightly see-through, so they allow visible light through. So what we're trying to do is maximize the light availability for the plants and therefore end up resulting in higher yields um, and end up minimizing any issues with um, shade um, at, in reducing yield. So it's, again, a little bit like a greenhouse, except you never have to manage the temperature. A lot of times in greenhouses, you have to cool them in the summer all through the, the growing season and heat them in the winter. And these would be systems that would hopefully improve 
the overall season for production. We're hoping to have higher production in the spring and fall. We're working on that data collection right now. Um, when the prices for produce are actually better for the grower, there's not like a lot of tomatoes on the on the market in November. So um, there's definitely a number of of benefits that that those of us who study rooftop agrivoltaics in the world are really trying to quantify. Yeah, I know that um, there's been reports from rooftop farms, open air rooftop farms where people are just growing vegetables, you know, without cover from photovoltaics that the seasons, they're able to extend the seasons just for just by being on the roof. Um, they've been able to extend the, the growing season by by several, several weeks and the thaw, the spring thaw happens a lot earlier, for example, and, and um, th that has some very tangible benefits. No doubt. In fact, just anecdotally, um, our green roof, it doesn't have solar panels on it at our new research facility at CSU Spur Campus, Colorado State University Spur Campus. We had our first tomato on the green roof, same day as planted on the ground, but our, our tomatoes ripened first. There you go. There you go. Um, now this, um, semi-transparent panels. Could you explain a little bit more about that? That's a really interesting innovation. So if I understand it correctly, like a lot of solar panels, you can't see through them. The light does not pass through them, but there's a new uh, generation of solar panels that's been developed that allows light to pass through, right? And so you're experimenting with what the effect of that is on plant yields, crop yields. Is that what you're, what you're uh, talking about? That's correct, Stephen. Um, most panels are what we call opaque panels. So they're, you can't really see through them. They do allow some incidental light through from the sides, the cracks, other places. We are quantifying in our lab what the solar irradiance is. So how much light actually lands um, under those panels in where we're growing crops. And what we're looking at is trying to hopefully maximize not just the amount of energy that's being produced, but also the, the crops underneath. And that's why semi-transparents are interesting. So there's a series of different types of semi-transparents. They're all, to my knowledge, still experimental. Um, a couple of companies are fabricating them at some kind of scale. Um, but I don't think they're available on the market, but keep an eye out for them. There are semi-transparent cadmium telluride panels, and those are ones that come in various transparencies. It's looking like between 40 to 60% transparent sort of balances the amount of light that comes through and the amount of energy that's captured in the individual module. Um, and so we're trying to characterize the, that growing environment underneath those panels. And then there's um, silicon, so the more traditional solar panel types. And they actually um, create them in sort of a series of lines. So they look more like the blinds in your house. Um, and, and that way it allows light through clear glass and then also to capture in those um, intermittent lines as well. There's a couple of other experimental types out there too on various shading and open areas with um, glass as well. But 
those are the two that we're the most interested in because it has kind of a uniform um, light that uh, that comes through those panels. Well, that's amazing. You're uh, using a technology that's been uh, developed for one particular application and bringing it up on the roof to uh, to work with agrivoltaics. That's incredibly innovative. Stay with us, folks. We're going to take a short break and we'll be right back with Dr. Jennifer Busolo and her work on uh, rooftop agrivoltaics. The Living Architecture Monitor is a fully digital quarterly publication by Green Roofs for Healthy Cities featuring explorations of innovative trends, thought-provoking interviews with industry leaders, and information about the latest developments in green roofs and wall policy throughout North America and the world. The Living Architecture Monitor also hosts the Journal of Living Architecture, a peer-reviewed scientific journal published by the Green Infrastructure Foundation, helping to platform the latest cutting-edge green roof and wall research. With more than 10,000 readers per issue, companies interested in reaching green roof and wall decision makers like green roof professionals, architects, landscape architects, engineers, and policymakers can take advantage of competitive advertising rates with discounts for reoccurring ads. The Living Architecture Monitor is the green roof and wall industry's premier publication. So read the summer biodiversity issue today at livingarchitecturemonitor.com. Thanks. We're here with uh, Dr. Jennifer Busolo talking about her research into a whole new system of benefits uh, for uh, gr green roof applications involving plants, uh, food producing plants, solar panels and regular uh, green roofs. Uh, she's here with us today. Um, Jennifer, you were just explaining, you know, some of the, the research that you're doing, looking at semi-transparent panels and looking at how to sort of optimize the, the, the energy production and efficiency gains from the panels and balancing that with um, increasing yields for um, uh, for plants. How do plants, food plants generally fare on extensive or lightweight green roofs in that dry climate of Denver of yours? Because I know you don't get a heck of a lot of rain. And I'm just wondering generally how how do, I mean, are, do we have open air farms in Denver? Um, how, how, how are things there? What kind of an environment is it for food producing plants on a roof? Good question. You know, there's not very many rooftop farms in Denver yet. Um, I think, though, that tide is sort of turning. Our biggest challenges for growing food on rooftops in Denver have to do with our very intense sun, our very intense wind conditions, the fact that we're very dry, although we do irrigate. Um, I almost never recommend. Uh, a green roof without a irrigation system. Not that they have to be overwatered, but as a sort of insurance against um, failure of the plants. And especially that's the case with rooftop agriculture. So the interesting thing we're finding up on rooftops under those conditions is a lot of the plants that do well in hot and dry conditions like peppers. We have some of the most abundant and prolific peppers, jalapenos, conquistadors this year up on uh, green roofs. We also find that things like cucumbers and tomatoes actually do a little bit better up on a roof only because they have a little bit less disease pressure. So the growing environment in that exposed location prevents a lot of the typical diseases we have um, in those same crops on the ground. 
So I, I have a couple of colleagues that are harvesting produce um, just like they would on the ground with similar yields. So I think there's a lot of potential and the demand for local food in our largest city in our state has just increased, not decreased over time. So as long as we can get some initial investment in the infrastructure, I think there's a ton of potential for rooftop agriculture in our environment. And um, when, in terms of your experimentation with uh, the shaded portion of the green roof underneath the photovoltaic, what type of uh, food plants are you trying to grow, you know, as part of your agrivoltaic research? Another excellent question. Great job there, Stephen. So the, our primary area of interest has to do with high value crops that should be consumed close to where they're produced. So with that being said, we prefer to have leafy greens is that something as a super short, short shelf life, you wanna make sure that you harvest and it's consumed within a couple of days or it starts to degrade in quality. Um, fresh herbs, especially those that are high value on a price per stem or price per ounce or price per gram. So the two experiments I currently have um, are a leafy green trial with one of my graduate students um, trying to evaluate five different leafy greens in full sun conditions in the same greener system under opaque panels and under those semi-transparents we talked about. Another graduate student is looking at um, herbs, uh, things like cilantro, basil, um, and rosemary, just to screen them to see if they're viable crops to be grown in under solar panels and or full sun, what kind of yield differences we have. And then we have another trial that's coming up next year on um, medicinal plants. So things like lemongrass, chamomile, um, lemon hyssop, or I'm sorry, uh, lemon balm, anise hyssop, all kinds of uh, crops that actually could potentially become higher potency grown under those extreme conditions than they would necessarily on the ground. So our criteria is really back to that high value, typically um, needed to be produced close to consumption. Yeah, and that makes sense because that's in keeping with uh, a lot of rooftop farms. You know, they're trying to produce crops that uh, where they have sort of a strategic advantage being very close to where they're consumed, whether it's in a farmer's market or in, in restaurants or through some kind of community supported agriculture program, right? They can get that stuff out to people right away, um, uh, you know, as opposed to like potatoes or corn or other type of crops that are, you know, mass produced and have a longer shelf life. That makes a, a lot of sense. Um, one of the criticisms about uh, rooftop uh photovoltaic and green roof combinations has been that, you know, while there's a, an, an efficiency gain for, for the, uh, for the rooftop voltaics, often when we, when you look at assembling the, the voltaics, you lose area, you know, the, the, the solar uh, panel companies will say, well, we, we're going to lose space, um, 
you know, if we if we combine these two systems together and that loss of photovoltaic area will compensate or more than compensate from the efficiency gain. So this has been a, uh, a criticism that I've heard a number of times. Have you given any consideration to how does one balance, you know, the need for people to obviously move around uh, in these tight spaces and also maximize the um, energy production just simply from a photovoltaic area uh, uh, perspective, you know, more photovoltaics equals more power. Have you given any thought to that um, particular research challenge or question? Not on a large scale. Uh, my scale is much smaller in experimental unit types. However, related to that, we've looked specifically at module height. So where the panels are located on the, the green roof. And so one of the things is, of course, we want to have good conditions for the, the workers that are going to be underneath those panels. Mm -hmm. And so height, if we increase to five to seven feet in height, you start to lose some of the benefit of the synergy between the two systems. We haven't quantified that um, yet all the way, but you will be able to essentially cover almost all available space on that roof if you have um, solar panels at that height. You don't have to uh, uh, create walking spaces where there's no panels located if you elevate. Of course, there's wind loading, infrastructure, metal, all of those, the, the, the racking system, all of those things that have to be incorporated into it. Um, but I feel like, as with most things with green roofs, it really comes down to design. The design intent, usually you can get what you need out of that space if it's well-designed. So I assume that your research is in part working towards some sort of a design guideline or principles for designing agrivoltaics. Is that sort of where you're, where you're headed with this work? That's a good question, Stephen. That's not my area of expertise. Really what we're trying to do though is characterize the current growing conditions. That's the giant question that needs to happen first. And from characterizing the, that growing condition, you can all like quickly sort of infer design intent uh, from that. So we're really focusing on the plant side. We're measuring all kinds of plant metrics. So yield, rate of, of water use, rate of chlorophyll content, um, all of those kinds of things but we're not necessarily focused on design in my lab. Although, as you say, design is kind of inferred from the nature of the research that you're doing. If you find that, you know, five to seven feet, which is pretty high racking for a rooftop solar array, um, certainly it allows people to move freely underneath the panels, but it may mean greater structural integrity and securing from a wind uplift perspective, right? So there's some trade-offs, I would assume, that you're... Oh, no doubt. Yeah. I think there's a lot still to be evaluated, and we're really just trying to establish baseline in our climate for now on what works and what doesn't. Thankfully, we actually have two different systems. We have a very low system that's 14 inches to um, about three feet, 
in height. So we do kind of have to crawl under and then we're installing a brand new um, space on a new building. So weight loading is not much of an issue. Um, and we were designing it from the beginning with this intent in mind. And so that's the one that's going to be five to seven feet in height. Mm-hmm. Really, that's very, uh, that's very interesting. It's great that you have a variety of different uh, research facilities where you can compare the, the performance of these different um, systems. Um, we're going to take a short break, uh, and then we'll be right back with uh, Jennifer Buslow, who's doing pioneering research on rooftop agrivoltaics, a combination of food production, green roof, and solar panels, all in one nice, neat package. At least that's what we're hoping for. So we'll be right back with Jennifer in just a minute. Cities Alive is a multidisciplinary conference bringing together the best designers, product manufacturers, researchers, and policymakers in the field of living architecture and green infrastructure. This year, Cities Alive is back and in person, looking at green infrastructure and water in a changing climate in Philadelphia from October 16th to 19th. Heat waves and flooding are increasing in frequency and intensity, and our communities have an urgent need to adapt to the growing impacts of climate change. Join us in October to hear from influential keynotes such as Naomi Davis, founder and CEO of Blacks and Green, Howard Newkrug, executive director at the Water Center at Penn, and more. You can also browse the trade show floor, learn hands-on at our biophilic design workshop, or see the sights on our networking cruise on the Delaware River. So register today at citiesalive.org and come join us in the city of brotherly love. So with us today, we have Dr. Jennifer Busselow, who is doing pioneering research on uh, a new type of green roof system, which is called the uh, rooftop uh, agrivoltaic. And we've been uh, chatting a little bit about her research and how she's trying to figure out the right combination of um, approaches uh, to determine how to maximize uh, crop yields, but also generate a lot of um, uh, renewable energy. Um, and Jennifer, I wanted to sort of take it up a little notch in terms of the sort of the big picture now. You know, climate change is really going to challenge our ability to live in urban centers. We know they're getting hotter and hotter. We have the urban heat island effect, which we actually just talked about with uh, Dr. Brad Bass in our, our previous podcast and what can be do- done about it. We also have um, certainly challenges in terms of stormwater management. In many cities, when it rains now, it is raining really intensely, and this is causing all kinds of stormwater related flooding uh, and infrastructural challenges. Uh, We have uh, the ability of green roofs to capture and retain uh, stormwater. Um, And uh, obviously renewable energy is one of the solutions. But, you know, one of the things that we don't hear a lot about is food. Uh, I know there's been some concerns about food lately in the press because of the war uh, between Russia and Ukraine and all the crops. But one of the things that climate change does is it, it does impact our ability to effectively grow food. Um, and here you have a um, with the agrivoltaics, you have a technology where you're trying to tackle sort of multiple problems. What kind of impacts do you think might be um, available or what kind of potential is there for rooftop agrivoltaics as a, as a, as a type of approach to greening roofs uh, in a city? Have you got any idea what the big picture might look like? That's right, Stephen. I, 
when I think about rooftop agrivoltaics and their most elemental level, they contribute both energy and food. Those are the two major renewable resources we're going to need as we start to feed approaching 9 billion people um, by mid-century. So if we can look at a way to stack those items and then potentially even capture our water, since that's the other resource we really need to think about, especially in a changing climate. I know our state has gotten drier as uh, our climate's really changed. This is just a great way to be able to secure the future in those terms. More and more of our cities are having energy insecurity or food insecurity um, and even water insecurity, right, in the world. And so to face a changing world, we should try to conserve and supply the resources we need at a small scale. I'm in a small scale a city, like several million, like Denver has, versus um, necessarily at, at the global scale. So one of the things that I really want to emphasize is that rooftop agrivoltaics is not going to necessarily replace any kind of commodity crops, but it will supplement, especially in the high nutrient um, types of food crops that we need. So think, especially leafy greens, um, are, are high nutrient, very densely nutrient uh, foods that are often a source of silent hunger, especially in our inner cities where there's already food deserts. Mm. So sort of combining all of those benefits together and looking at it at a systems level, I feel like that's how we're going to help address locally um, the effects of climate change. I can't wait to look at, my lab is also looking a little bit at stormwater capture of green roofs. I can't wait to look at all the awesome products that are on the system that are, are, are out in our industry that can actually redistribute water within systems. Because imagine a green roof with solar panels over it, you're gonna have some runoff, right? And it's gonna be concentrated in one area. There's all kinds of great products out there that will redistribute that moisture throughout and, and ideally have um, the optimal both stormwater capture and produce yield. So to me, we're just getting started on what's possible in our cities to help fight climate change. It seems to me that there is also potentially a lot of employment related to these systems. Excellent point. We call them, at least locally here in Denver, green jobs. So when we had the green building ordinance passed, there was even a literally an investigation into the calculation of, uh, of what green jobs would be available. Well, of course, that's dependent on the amount of green space that's added to the city, of course. But essentially, um, we saw a, a major uptick in green jobs, which are actually considered uh, a, sort of a mix between what we used to call white collar and blue collar. It's you can use your hands and move, but also end up um, having a livable wage. So yeah, I think this would be an excellent way 
using rooftop agrivoltaics to increase green jobs. And when you when you put you know when you throw green jobs into the mix, you're at a whole other dimension of potential cost savings and uh, social justice aspects. Um, you know, um, community well-being. Like there, it, it opens up a whole other plethora of benefits that uh, we don't normally um, associate with. You know, more defined research, technical research. Yeah, that's right. And I would love to look at this, but I don't work on the human dimension side, but I feel like the more green roofs that are accessible, the better. Just anecdotally, all the staff in the building that I may research on come up to the green roof for lunch because that's where they want to be. And if we could quantify as an industry what those benefits are and get more publicly accessible or at least a higher building occupancy occupancy accessible green roofs, I think we're going to end up benefiting. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, that really speaks to this whole notion of biophilic design, right? And the, the idea that we're sort of hardwired to want to be in nature, and that if we're not, if we don't have access to nature on a regular basis, it can be detrimental to our health. And conversely, if we have access to nature on a regular basis, it's very beneficial to our health. And in cities in particular, where green space always seems to be at a premium, you know, having accessible uh, roof gardens performing multiple functions could be a big boon in terms of health and well-being. No doubt. Um, one of the things um, I've argued uh, for uh, in the past, so I put forth this idea of, of highest and best use. You know, we had, um, we, we, we did a lot of work on, uh, on something called the living architecture performance tool where we created a uh, green building type like a lead green building type certification process where we tried to identify what all of the potential uh, benefits that could be generated from a green roof system were and a green wall system um, and during that process you know we were saying you know what's the best possible green roof um, you know if you had the option of building a building and you wanted to get the most possible squeeze the most benefits out of the every square foot you know that would be uh, applying the doctrine of highest and best possible use you know you wouldn't just go with solar panels or just go with a reflective roof or just go with an extensive roof if you could if you had the ability for example to put in a rooftop farm or an accessible roof space and so forth and i'm wondering what what you think about that idea of highest and best possible use as a sort of overall doctrine that we should uh, aspire to in our policy and in our, our work and where you think agrivoltaics might fit in that in the context of what is the highest and best possible use of roof space I like the way you package that idea, Stephen, because without realizing it, I sort of always am looking for that myself in the green roof world. I mean, I have quite a portfolio of different projects I've helped on and, and, and research in my lab. And I like that concept. Um, in, in my opinion, it should be though all of those metrics as part of um, what should be selected. Of course, it's up to the individual building owner, but absolutely, I think highest and best use would fit right in with the rooftop agrivoltaics, especially with that stacking of potential benefits and that combination, especially in a changing climate 
of um, energy production. So it's actual production and saving CO2 from being used if we're gonna heat with say gas or coal or some other um, fossil fuel, absolutely it would be the, in my opinion, one of the top performers, but I think I'm a little biased on that. But rooftop agrivoltaics would be wonderful. I know I, I was sort of thinking about this, uh, you know, from the perspective of, you know, if you were, um, if you were on a shipwreck and, uh, you know, you were, you were alone and you had a, a large piece of the, of the roof, let's assume like the roof would be like your, um, your raft, you know, what would you want on that, on that raft, you know, to, to help you survive until rescued, right? Like, what, how much can our roofs as really valuable areas within our cities, which take up large, large amounts of real estate, um, contribute to our ongoing survival as a species and our, our well-being in cities? And that's kind of where the idea of this highest and best possible use came from. And you've mentioned food in your comments, obviously being important, energy, right, water, um, and are, are there any other things that we can cram in there uh, that would just put us over the top? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I have a mix, vegetable, herb, medicinal herb, and um, pollinator garden on one of my roofs where I do research. I feel like we can add in pollinators because we depend on them, not just on the roof, but for most of our food crops. So if we can provide resources for them in the context, especially at the edges where we need a little pop of color around all of our plants, we end up with also a whole bunch of awesome predators amongst that crowd. So yeah, I would add that. And microgreens, since that's quick turnover and you can survive seven days while they sprout. Right, right. You want fast growing crops. Definitely yeah. want fast growing crops. <laughs> Yeah. And, and the pollinators, you know, our, our, our current issue of the Living Architecture Monitor magazine is all about biodiversity. It has a number of articles that talk about designing for pollinators. And it's really, I think a lot of people are don't realize um, what the impact of the loss of biodiversity represents for us, um, you know, as a, as, a, as a species on, on the earth, like what, what, how much damage is done by you know, um, unraveling the web of life around us. And that green grooves, although they're not the solution we have to protect natural areas, they can, can make a contribution. And particularly to education and connecting people back to nature. You know, some people don't are not even aware. Um, I found out recently that, you know, the clouds move across the sky, that they're not stationary. Like they're 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 just not tuned in to the natural world, uh, you know. And that's one of the things that uh, we can do is reconnect people. Absolutely, and we're just one species on this planet, humans. There are nine hundred and forty-seven species of bees in our state alone, and we're seeing ridiculous ridiculous reductions of their populations over the last couple of decades. So you said it very well. Uh, the other thing I would add to all that is that green roofs can be an excellent corridor for pollinators and other beneficial 
um, wildlife to make it through our urban uh, jungles, which are essentially deserts to them. And so they play sort of a key role. So yeah, that, that's another benefit that my lab works on. That is fantastic. I, I wasn't aware you were uh, working on um, trying to create habitat for you know, native pollinators in Colorado. So what is next for Dr. Jennifer Buslow? I know you're coming to Cities Alive. We're very excited about that to share some of the details of your research and, and your findings. But what, what overall is next for you? Uh, are we looking at blue, blue skies and blue seas and big winds or uh, what, what's happening? I've got a lot going on. Yes, I'm bringing a crew of five graduate students to Cities Alive. I'm very excited about that. They're all going to report on their various research projects, sort of mixed between rooftop agrivoltaics and and, uh, plants for pollinators on green roofs. Um, And then after that, in January, I actually open a new green roof research area all on rooftop agrivoltaics at the Colorado State University Spur Campus called the Hydro Building. It's appropriate. We're going to also do some stormwater capture research um, there as well. And then a year after that, I go on semester at sea. So I'm going to talk about green roofs literally on four continents. Fantastic. Where should people go from a web perspective to check in with your research and see more about what you're doing? Great question, Stephen. They can um, literally just search up online uh, green roof. and Colorado State University, and they'll find my links. I have several of them. Uh, And you can sort of track the the progress. You can also search on Google Scholar for a bunch of our papers, almost every single paper, several of them um, published the Journal of Living Architecture. And we have many manuscripts in the queue right now. I have seven graduate students. This is about three more than I should have right now. Uh, So we have a lot going on. Jennifer, well, that is fantastic. I I have to applaud your efforts. Um, You're one of the leading innovators in terms of your your big picture thinking about what can happen, what we can do with our roofs to solve our our current challenges and your marshalling many, many resources and minds to try to figure it all out. And congratulations for that. We look forward to hearing more from you in the years to come when we uh, when we crack the uh, rooftop agrivoltaic nut, so to speak. Thank you, Stephen. I really appreciate the invitation and getting to talk to you today about one of my greatest passions. Thank you. Thank you as well. And take care. Enjoy the rest of your uh, summer. And thank you, everyone, for joining us. Uh, This has been um, our our second uh, episode of Sustainable Futures, and we've been uh, fortunate to have Dr. Jennifer Buslow with us, sharing some of the insights of her amazing research work, uh, looking at agrivoltaics, but also stormwater retention uh, and pollinator species and all kinds of great stuff coming out of of Denver. So uh, thank you very much for joining us today, and we look forward to uh, seeing you in the future. Pleasure. Thanks.